We're going to be looking at a couple of texts this morning. They're both printed for you in your bulletin. Uh, the first is going to be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, and then the second one is going to be from 1 Peter chapter 1. Several months ago, I picked up a book by Sinclair Ferguson uh, called Devoted to God, Blueprints for Sanctification. And ever since I bought that book, I've thought, man, this book would make a good basis, foundation for a, a series on sanctification. Sanctification being uh, growing in holiness, growing in conformity to Christ's likeness. And I kind of filed that idea away and I hadn't done anything with it until we came in our series that we've been in on 1 Thessalonians to the, the first verse you see printed there. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That can also be translated, for this is the will of God, your holiness. Uh, And I thought, this is the time to do that series. So what we're going to do is take kind of a break from Thessalonians, but really what we're doing is fleshing out this verse. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And think about what that really means in the life of the believer. Uh, And so to do that this morning, we're going to get at that through reading from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. So let me read this for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, 
not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you thanks that we have heard uh, the good news of the gospel and are hearing it even today. Uh, Father, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would cause that word uh, to implant itself in our hearts this morning uh, and bring about the change that you purpose in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I heard this story this week, I was listening to the Moth podcast, for any of you who enjoy that podcast, about a young woman named Sitawa Wafula, and apologies to her if she happened to be here for butchering her name. But Sitawa said that when she grew up, she had, she had always loved numbers. And when she got to college, she heard of this course of study called Actuarial Science, uh, which involved calculus and probability and statistics. Uh, it's what insurance companies uh, rely on to, to calculate mortality rates and, and premiums. And she said, my business... This is what I'm going to be all about. I I love math. I love numbers. This is the career for me. Uh, Along the way, though, she was diagnosed with epilepsy. And she went to the doctors and they told her, look, you're going to be fine as long as you eat well and and sleep well and and take your medicine. Uh, Everything's okay. This shouldn't be a big issue in your life. She went on. She got a, a job with an insurance company. She loved the work. Things were going well until one day. Uh, she went in to make copies on their new big fancy copying machine. And the next thing she knew, she woke up in the hospital. It turns out that she actually had what's called photosynthetic uh, epilepsy, which means you're very sensitive to flashing lights. And the copier had actually set this off. And the doctor said, you, it's going to be fine. You just have to watch out for this. We're not even going to keep you. Just, just go ahead and go home. So she went home and she went back to work on Monday morning and she was met by the director's assistant who said to her, we're going to give you a couple weeks off to kind of rest up and and make sure you're over this. And she thought, wow, this is a company that cares about my health and they're giving me a couple weeks off. And so she went home. She came back two weeks later and the director's assistant met her and said, we're going to give you a couple of more weeks off to make sure you're really over this. And she was not as excited about it this time. And she went home and she decided to call the director's assistant that night and said, you know, what, what, what's going on here? Why, why are you giving me two more weeks off? And there was this pause in the conversation. And she said, the director's assistant said to her almost in a whisper, we cannot work with someone like you. We cannot work with someone like you. And they were just delaying the inevitable of letting her go. 
And, you know, isn't that one of our greatest fears? To have someone say that to us? Uh, a family member or our employer or God himself would look at us and say, I cannot work with someone like you. It, it's just too much. You're, 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 you're too much of a mess. You're, 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 just, you're not measuring up. I can't work with someone like you. We, we fear that. We, we fear that sense of rejection. And one of the reasons I think we fear that is because we know, even though we might not want to admit it, we know that we really are messy people. We know that there are things about us that aren't beautiful, even if we try to conceal them. We're, we're marred by our own sin, and we're marred by the, the way that others have sinned against us. Uh, in Macbeth, Lady Macbeth is consumed by her guilt because her husband has killed the king of Scotland at her urging. And so she's walking through the castle, rubbing her hands together, saying, out, out, damned spot. Because she just is overcome with this sense of guilt and what she's done. There's a stain that she has now that she can't do anything to remove. And I think most of us know what it means, but know what it feels like uh, to feel that way. But what I want us to see this morning is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are someone who has said, yes, I'm messy, but, but yes, I need Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers, and, and I really do want to follow him, then you can know that God can work with you and that he intends to work with you and that he intends to actually make you beautiful in, in spite of anything that may be in your past or present. And, and you know, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, what would, what would you give to know that there is a God who intends to make you beautiful? A God who intends to make you beautiful. That is his intent for every believer in Jesus Christ to make you beautiful. And he makes you beautiful by making you holy. So that, that's the first thing I want us to kind of see from this this morning, is that God makes us beautiful by making us holy. Uh, the scriptures tell us that one of the essential attributes of God is, is his, uh, one of the central characteristics of who God is, is his holiness. That he is a, a holy God. Now, what does that mean? Right, that's a very churchy word. Uh, to, to be holy, holiness refers to God's purity, it refers to his moral perfection. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson writes that when you think about the Trinity, uh, holiness refers to the perfectly pure devotion of each of these three persons to the other two. The, the perfectly pure devotion of the Father and the, to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And that's holiness within the Trinity itself. So in a way, holiness is, a, is something of a way of describing what love is. And that makes sense when you think about the two greatest commandments. What are the two greatest commandments that God gives us? Love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Holiness on our part looks like keeping those commandments to love God and to love our neighbor. And so holiness encompasses God's purity, uh, God's moral perfection, and God's pure love. And when you think about a being like that, you can see why the scriptures talk about the beauty of holiness. 
The, the beauty of holiness. The, the call to worship we read this morning from Psalm 29 said, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Uh, in the New King James Version, it actually says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. God is, is a beautiful being because He's perfectly holy. And you and I are, the Scriptures teach us, actually made in His image. And we're made to reflect that beauty. We're made to reflect that holiness. But as we talked about already, sin has, has marred that beauty. But, but God is up to something. God has purposed to restore us to the beautiful holiness we were always meant to have. You know, we're we're kind of like an old house that, that whatever host on HGTV has found. And they look at the house and they say, I'm going to restore that house to its original beauty. And that's what God intends in the lives of His children. And I want to show you that from 1 Peter this morning. I want us to see how committed God is to making us holy. How committed God is to making us holy. And another way to say that is how committed God is to making us beautiful. Okay, And we're going to see this, and they're going to be short, but six different snippets of how committed God is to making us holy and beautiful. Look at verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, and then skip down to verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. The triune God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the triune God has purposed to make you holy. Uh, Peter calls the exiles here, these are believers who are scattered, he, he calls them elect exiles, and he says they are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now that doesn't mean that God looked down through the tunnels of time and he saw who was going to believe in him and respond to his offer of salvation. The idea there is of God actually setting His love on us beforehand. And really, if you take Ephesians 2 seriously, if you take seriously the fact that the Bible says we were actually dead in our sins, then that's the only way we could be saved. Because we weren't simply sick in our trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But as Ephesians 2 says, that, that, that great two words, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. We didn't make ourselves alive. God made us alive. And so we we can't boast about it. But that text goes on to say that He made us alive in order that we might do good works. He chose us and He set His love on us in order to make us holy. So wherever you are with the, with the idea of the, the doctrine of election, and we're not, this is not a sermon about that, but you can never say, well, if I'm elect, that means I can do whatever I want to do. No, if I'm elect, that means I've actually been chosen to be holy. To be holy. And notice the way Peter talks about this. The, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all involved in this. Uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. And that means for believers that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are absolutely committed to our holiness. God is committed to your holiness the way, for those of you who 
like Stranger Things, you remember the first season, the way that mom was committed to rescuing her son from the upside down. Like she was going to do whatever crazy stuff she needed to do to save her son. God is that committed to our holiness. For those of you who are more football people than Stranger Things people, um, Nick Saban, who I hate to use in a positive light, but, but, <laughs> but, but Nick Saban is absolutely committed to his football players being great football players and to having a winning football team at the University of Alabama. And so his practices are intense. Uh, so intense that Eddie Lacy, who played at Alabama and now plays in NFL, said at his first NFL practice, he left saying, is that, is that all we're going to do? Like, is that it? This is, this is very easy compared to what I'm used to. Uh, Nick Saban devotes all of his waking energy and probably his sleeping energy to, to, to making great football players. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who don't sleep, have devoted their energy to making you holy. The triune God is absolutely committed to your holiness. Secondly, um, God the Father has commanded us to be holy. Verse 15. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Um, God commands us to pursue holiness. But think about the things we pursue. Uh, if, if you're a doctor, you know, you're told you have to pursue positive patient outcomes. Uh, if you're a lawyer, you may have been instructed to pursue more billable hours uh, from clients. If you're a student, you may be pursuing good grades or you may be pursuing future scholarships. You may be right now pursuing someone to be your future significant other. You could be pursuing lowering your score at the game of golf. We, we all know what it means to pursue something, to put our emotional energy into it, to strive to get better, to, to think about how we can improve, to rearrange our schedule so we can, we can reach this goal that we have. God has commanded us to pursue holiness. Uh, not because he's some cosmic killjoy in, in, in the sky, but because in becoming holy, we actually become well. We become beautiful. Uh, we actually find happiness. Uh, as, as someone said recently, happiness lies on the far side of holiness. Think about that for a minute. Happiness lies on the far side of of holiness. So when God commands us to pursue holiness, He's actually commanding us to pursue our own happiness. Uh, thirdly, uh, Jesus died to bring about our holiness. Look at, look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus died to bring about our holiness. Uh, there's a story told of a, a Russian czar. who had a general who was dying from wounds he had received in battle. And uh, the general called the czar to him and asked him to promise to take care of his son uh, after he died. And so the czar raised the man's son. He gave him a good education. He, he got him a commission in the army. But uh, the young man at some point along the way developed a, a gambling addiction. 
And he began to embezzle funds from his regiment uh, to pay off his debt. And then one night he was in a tent and he was looking through the books and, and he realized that there was no way he could keep this covered up any longer. That he was going to be found out and he was drinking heavily and he pulled his revolver out and he was getting ready to kill himself but he drank so much that he passed out there in the tent. Uh, that night, it just so happened that the czar had this habit of disguising himself as a common soldier and walking through the, the battlefield tents just to check on the morale of his men. And he happened to walk into the tent uh, of his foster son. And he put two and two together there, and, and he saw what had happened. Well, when the young man woke up the next morning, there was a note with the czar's seal on it, and it said... I, the czar, will pay the full amount for my own personal funds to make up the difference found in this book. I see the debt, and I'm going to pay the debt. The czar paid the debt owed by his son to set him free and to secure his forgiveness. At the cross, Jesus died to pay our debt with his own blood. He took on himself what our sins deserve so that we could be set free. And set free not only from the punishment that we are due, but Peter says to to be set free from the futile way of life you inherited from your forefathers. In other words, Jesus' death was not simply to free us from the consequences of sin. It's intended to free us from sin itself. To free us from the power of sin. We We were slaves to sin. We had inherited futile ways of life. And that sin leads to misery and to death. But Jesus died to free us from that. The the purpose of his death is to set us free and to make us holy. We were slaves, but now we're free. Why in the world would, would we run back to our old masters whose only intent was to enslave us further? Number four, we've been given the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. In the middle of verse two, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and regenerates us. He's the one who comes and does CPR on our spiritually dead bodies. He brings us to life and opens our eyes to the beauty of the gospel so that we can see how beautiful it is what Jesus has done for us and believe on Him. And then the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us and helps us to become holy in actual practice. Imagine uh, if you had somebody living in your house who was part interior decorator and part house cleaner and part contractor. Right? My wife would divorce me for that person immediately. Um, but I'm just kidding, but I hope. Um, but but, but uh, imagine like you could have this person to come and to take up residence in your house and devote themselves to making your house beautiful. They would have all the skills. They could do whatever needed to be done to make your house beautiful. God is so committed to your and my holiness that He has sent the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside of us and make us beautiful. Number five, God uses trials to make us holy. Look at verse six and seven. Um, 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is so committed to our holiness that He uses even the difficulties and trials of this life to make us holy, to make us beautiful. Uh, I've told the story, it may even have been recently, of uh, my father-in-law and how he unexpectedly lost his job as an airline pilot when he turned uh, 60. And it, it really devastated him because his identity was very much tied up in who he was as a pilot. And it was an incredibly hard time for him. But Susan's mom would say to this day that in the long run, that trial was incredibly used by God to conform her husband to the image of Jesus. It wasn't fun, but it was used by God. And, you know, I don't like suffering. Uh, You don't like suffering. And some of you have been through and are going through incredibly hard times right now. And part of our hope and encouragement in the midst of all that is that God is using even these hard things in some mysterious way to make us beautiful. To make us beautiful. You know, we're, we're kind of like a statue that's being, uh, that's being chiseled into, or excuse me, we're kind of like a piece of rock that's being chiseled into a beautiful statue. And it doesn't feel very good to be chiseled, or I wouldn't think it would. And so we have to remember what, what God is doing in our lives and what He's committed to in our lives. He's making us holy. And then finally, sixth thing here, our destination is to be made holy and to be with Jesus who is holy and to live in a place that is filled with holiness. And that's kind of scattered various places in this text, but I wanted to actually turn you to a different text uh, just to think about this for a second. This is 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Uh, Singler Ferguson writes this, How strange it is that people think that they will be happy pursuing holiness in heaven if they are unhappy about the calling to pursue it here and now on earth. If we do not desire heaven as a world of holiness and freedom from the presence of sin, a world of delight in Jesus here and now, what possesses us to think we will enjoy it or Him then? You know, if if I told you you were headed to the Bahamas, all right, how would you pack? How would you dress? If I told you, on the other hand, you're, you're headed to Siberia, um, I, you'd probably take the first trip, I know, but, but how would you pack? How would you dress for that trip? We, we dress, we pack, we prepare based on where we're going. How should we dress in light of our heavenly destination? Shouldn't it be with thoughts and words and deeds of holiness? God is committed to you, committed to you, believer in Jesus Christ, to taking you to a place of holiness, to to meet His Son, 
who is holy. To a day when you will be transformed into His holy image. Certain I, shouldn't I learn to dress accordingly? And to get excited now about this place where I'm headed. Y'all, the, the, the good life is the holy life. Even though we, we don't believe that a lot of times. Happiness lies on the far side of holiness. You have to, you have to go through holiness to get to happiness. And the good news of the gospel is if you are trusting in Christ for your salvation, then you can know that God is absolutely committed to your beauty and your happiness and your holiness. No matter how broken you may be, God doesn't look away. He doesn't look at you and say, I, I just can't work with somebody like you. He looks at you and he says, I can work with you and I will work with you to make you beautiful. And that's our hope as believers. And so today, I I don't want you to go home and think about what you need to do. There's plenty of times when we can do that. I want you to go home and think about what God is committed to doing in your life as a believer. I'll close with this. It's a song called The Broken Beautiful um, by Ellie Holcomb. and, And it goes this way. I know that I don't bring a lot to the table, just little pieces of a broken heart. There's days I wonder if you'll still be faithful, hold me together when I fall apart. Would you remind me now of who you are, that your love will never change, that there's healing in your name, that you can take broken things and make them beautiful. You took my shame and you walked out of the grave so your love can, make bro- can take broken things and make them beautiful. You say that you'll turn my weeping into dancing, remove my sadness and cover me with joy. You say your scars are the evidence of healing, that you can make the broken beautiful. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would use this passage and this message this morning to show us how committed you are to making your children beautiful. And help us to believe that... that being beautiful, being made beautiful is being made holy. And you're absolutely committed to our holiness and to the beauty of our holiness. Help us to believe that and take comfort in that and be encouraged by that and live and dress accordingly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.